0: One thing you'll know if you've watched this channel in the past is that this is my favorite video to make all year. I really just enjoy finding out who the next stars are and what's coming next. And on this show, we've highlighted the careers of people like Volkanovsky, Islam Mahachev, and many others before they ever got to title contention, and a whole host of others. And let's say it didn't necessarily go that well every time. But yeah, that is exactly what we are here to talk about. Those fighters that will be contenders soon, and possibly even are, the next big stars. I'm Jason from MMA on Point, a massive shout out to our Hall of Famers. Your support really helps this channel. And these are my top 15 UFC prospects for 2024. Real quick before I get started, I think it's important to establish the criteria for this list. You will see some omissions here that I promise have a very logical reason. If this isn't something you are interested in and just want to watch the list, skip straight ahead to 315. Number one, they cannot have been in the top 10 in the past or are currently at that point they're already pretty much a title contender number two these are prospects at the UFC level and therefore have to have had at least one fight in the promotion I've made exceptions in the past but not any on today's video number three they can't have already been on one of my previous lists I'd be writing essentially the same thing again if I put them on this year and that just feels I don't know lazy there's plenty of new talent out there to highlight this year And considering I went over about 50 different people for this, yeah, there's a lot of options. So that being said, let's review how last year went so you can see who I'm omitting, as well as find out how, I don't know, maybe worth your time this video is. If I suck at making these picks, you're probably not too interested. So I'll try to keep this brief, but again, just skip ahead to 315 if you just want to hear this year's list. So yeah, I think our prospects for the most part had a pretty good run in 2023, most picking up multiple wins with just three losing. In the case of Raul Rosas Jr., he obviously was quite young, so he's got a lot of time to bounce back. And I would definitely say the same for Cameron Simon, although he did manage two wins despite the loss in 2023. And then my number two pick probably had the worst luck. If I'm honest, he was set as my number two because he was about to fight Kelvin Gaslam at the beginning of the year. But close to the fight, Kelvin pulled out and who stepped in but the current middleweight champion, Sean Strickland. So yeah, really tough break there for Nasher Dean. But the rest all had really good years. Tetsuo Tayara definitely deserves a top 10 level opponent next. A ton of people didn't find Jailton Almeida's last performance that entertaining, which I totally understand, but there is no doubting that he has moved into title contention. Jack Della Maddalena only needs a couple more wins to get him into contention. Hopefully we see a bit more of Bo Nickel this time, not against just last minute replacements. And yeah, I could go on about everyone else, but you can of course see them for yourselves here. So last reminder, you won't see any of them on this list this year. They've already been covered. If you want to learn more about them, I'll just go ahead and link last year's video in the description. But that's it for my preamble, guys. Let's go ahead and jump right into the list. I'm going to start with number 15, Peyton Talbot. He's an American at Bantamweight. So yeah, we start off this list with a few comparisons. Who is a 5'10", curly-haired Bantamweight with a beautiful striking heavy style that's made their way through the Contender Series. A lot of you are probably going to think of Sean O'Malley, myself included, and I'm far from the first person to make this comparison. You watch him, and it's hard not to think about Sean O'Malley. It was literally being made all throughout his fight on the show, which was, by the way, against Tracy Cortez's brother, Reyes, and Sean O'Malley is a noted fan of Peyton himself. Despite that, though, he got into the sport because of Conor McGregor, not O'Malley, while he was at the University of Nevada. So... It's not like he's some weird super fan that followed in his footsteps. I'd really like to fight Sean O'Malley because everybody compares me to him and it drives me crazy. And basically Peyton just melts guys on the feet. At 7-0, he has only finished everyone he's fought before the Contender Series, which is his only decision. And by the way, that fight was a showcase performance. Reyes just had no quit in him at all. Also, look at this. This was his response to his leg being caught for a takedown attempt. I've never seen this in my life, but yeah, he fought in Uriah. Favors A1 promotion won their bantam weight belt and defended there twice. Again, all of those wins by finish. This even extends back to his amateur career in King of the Cage. He was a champion with all finishes there too. And since he's gotten into the UFC, he's recently shown more wrinkles to his game, taking out Nick Aguirre not with striking, but this time with an RNC. Even still, this remains the biggest question mark. He has some high school wrestling experience, which definitely helps, but he was taken down and controlled a decent bit in that first round of the fight. But still, he looked amazing by the second and third rounds as geary tired. But with some of the grapplers in this division, he still has a bit to prove in that department. Guy is amazing on the feet with his pressure-heavy style, his cardio, and he definitely has a ton of star power built into his method of victory. Oh, and he's only 25, by the way. But... um wait hold on do you have two glasses what the fuck you have two glasses on at the same time and then moving on to number 14 eduarda mora she's from brazil and she's a straw weight standing at 5'6 more towers over most fighters at 115 pounds and has a sizable reach advantage at 66 inches And if there's one thing to highlight here, she uses that size really well. I mean, just look at her last two opponents. She literally looks like she's a weight class or even two bigger. And naturally the ground game is a massive asset to her style. She finished all but one of her opponents since turning pro, which by the way, was only two years ago. Yeah, she's 10-0 in only two years. And that's what she does. She takes her opponents down and pretty much just mauls them. And by all means, she's not a fish out of water on the feet either, which she was able to show in her contender series fight and her UFC debut. But make no mistake, it's definitely best to place her skills on the ground. I mean, her nickname in Brazil is literally Ronda. I know a lot of people might not think of that as a favorable comparison with Ronda Rousey in 2024, but they are obviously referring to her dominance on the ground. She's a BJJ purple belt and trains alongside Jailton Almeida, who is a huge supporter of her success, and at 115 they desperately need new talent outside of Zhang, Suarez, and Lamos, as a lot of other stars have started to fade out of the title picture or move classes and retire. Moore doesn't have a fight booked yet for 2024, but has apparently told Diana Belveda that she'll make her bark like a dog, so... <laughs> That's cool, I guess. Then on to number 13, Hyung Sung Park from South Korea at Flightweight. In MMA, there are all sorts of menacing nicknames that come to mind El oh, Kukui, The Damage, The Nightmare, The Axe Murderer. And then there are names like, well, Peace of Mind. I suddenly feel very relaxed. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? And of course, that's the nickname of this walking contradiction, whose style is anything but peaceful. Sung Park is a dangerous fighter everywhere it goes. And as we've got to see in his second official fight in December with the UFC, his combinations are absolutely lethal. Gotta love a good old boss root and liver shot. Step. In but he also fought for the road to UFC, which is kind of like a cross between tough uh, with their mini tournament style and the contender series, because the winner of that mini tournament gets a contract without having to go through that whole reality show nonsense. He destroyed both of his opponents in that, no doubt about it. And in fact, to date, he only has one decision on his record, and he has passed every test so far with flying colors. And the important factor here is that this man is a through and through finisher with an extremely well-rounded game, especially in a division like flyweight that's historically struggled that will help you climb the ranks really quick. All right, then number 12, Diego Lopez. He's from Brazil and he's a featherweight. Generally, a criteria for this list is a fighter can't really have lost to recently. But for Diego, this one is an exception definitely worth making. I'm not saying he's the featherweight Armin Sarukian by any means, nor saying Saying Mozar Ivloyev is the next Islam Adjev, but there is definitely a comparison to be made because considering Diego Lopez probably had the worst luck for his first fight in the UFC against Ivloyev, the thing is, like Sarukian against Islam, Diego did far and beyond more than was expected of him against Mozar, and he put him in dangerous positions repeatedly with submissions in that fight. By the way, Movzar is currently ranked at number nine in the division, and Diego took that fight on only five days notice. And since then, he's lived up to the promise he's shown in that first fight with two first round finishes. And I mean, the guys he fought had a combined 12 UFC fights between them, and he finished him in the first round. By all means, Diego Lopez is not new to MMA with 29 fights and six losses spanning all the way back to 2012. But at only 28, he's shown that he's just now starting to hit his stride, and his last few fights are an indication of that. He'll be inside that top 10 with just a couple more fights, and he's definitely got star potential written all over him. I mean, just look at that Bieber cut. Moving on to number 11, we've got Victoria Dudikova. She's Russian and a strawweight. It certainly won't be the only Russian on this list, but she's a fighter I had to highlight here because of her, well, excellent credentials. For one, as an amateur, she was an IMAF European champion, which is about as credentialed as you can get an amateur. She was undefeated there in five fights and since turning pro is 8-0 with two wins in the UFC already following a win on the Contender Series. But before all that she was a kickboxing champion in Russia. I mean she started this in her teens and she's only 24 today. She's only got two decisions on her record with one of those being over former Invicta champion Jin Yufre who she dropped in that fight by the way. Victoria is great everywhere. Most of her wins are by submission and she just has a dominating game all around. So really, it's just a question of who to book her against next. But Strongweight desperately needs new talent, and she is absolutely poised to become one of the promotion's next best options. I definitely do have to address the weird controversy in her last fight. Like I mentioned, she fought Jin Frey, and she had a nasty staph infection, which, considering how contagious that is, is pretty irresponsible. You are too. Yo, yo. And the reason that's important is that we are waiting for her to recover from that and get booked again. Either way, her ability is there. The star potential is there. We'll just have to see what happens next. Number 10, Nazim Sadikov. He's an American born in Azerbaijan. He's a lightweight. It was only a matter of time in 2024 before you mentioned a fighter with a Sambo background. Nazim was, as I mentioned, born in Azerbaijan and moved to the States when he was young, but he participated in Sambo, karate, judo, and kickboxing tournaments all throughout his childhood. And since transitioning into MMA, between 50 fights, he's only lost one single time and just pulled a draw in one of the best fights to not have a winner at the end of it with Vyacheslav Borshov. I mean, just ask Tommy about it because he just wrote a video about it our draws that were so good you literally didn't care there wasn't a winner it was that good of a fight although i should mention Sedikov hurt Borshov badly in that second round and maybe got penalized for not finishing it and on top of that experience and record the guy trains at a great camp with longo weidman so to go along with his stellar stand-up skills his already well-versed ground game he's at a camp with a legacy full of killers on the mat He's finished all but two of his opponents, and some of those finishes included Terrence McKinney on top of another top prospect in Evan Elder. He's got the skill, the ability to go along with the heart and chin. He's proven himself as must see in MMA. He just needs a couple more opportunities to climb those ranks, and he has the potential to be a contender pretty soon. Number nine, Rinya Nakamura. He's from Japan at Bantamweight. So earlier on, I talked about the Road to UFC mini tournament that Hyungsung Park won at Flyweight. Well, Rinya Nakamura was in the Bantamweight bracket also in 2022. And the reason why I'm ranking Nakamura higher is because he won gold at the under 23 freestyle world championships. He was looking to go for more at the 2020 Summer Olympics, but nothing really went according to plan that year. So he decided to shift his career path towards MMA instead, which makes plenty of sense because his father Kozo Nakamura was involved in Shido and even matched fights and pride back in the day. There's actually a really great article from Nolan King at MMA Junkie that breaks down Rinya's exposure to MMA and some of its stars when he was a kid. Names like Ensign Inoue, Kid Yamamoto, and Yuki Nakai was what he grew up around. Furthermore, Rinya feels like it's his personal mission to, quote, restore the Japanese spirit in all Japanese people's hearts, unquote. That's intense, and his record and style reflect that level of ambition. At just age 28, he's now 8-0 with some stellar KOs. I don't wanna make too many comparisons, but that kind of reminds me of another wrestler in the name of Bo Nickel, but he's got more experience. He's naturally got some missions as a grappler, and he's won two fights in the UFC already. He's just a scary, scary fighter with crazy good KO ability and a ton of aggression and the well-rounded skills to back that up. He just needs a couple more fights for people to get on board. This continues at all the way it's looked already. Number eight, Farid Basharat. He's from the UK and was born in Afghanistan. He's at Bantamweight. So last year we talked about his brother Javid Basharat. Now we get to talk about the older Bash bro who's followed shortly behind him. Any chance we see those two fight each other for a title one day? But despite him being two years older than his brother Javid, He both started his career and joined the UFC about one year after him as well, and naturally they trained together out of extreme couture, which has some of the best coaching in the sport with the likes of Eric Nixick and Dewey Cooper heading up things. Their list of successes speak for themselves pretty well. I'll try to avoid making comparisons to his brother from here on out, but one last one is that like his brother, he is really well known for the ground game. Choke time. Oh, wow. time. time! His arms caught behind as well. His arms caught behind. That's he's it. Going for the choke, <laughs> and that is it. All but only three of his wins have come by way of submission, and he's got some stellar skills on the feet as well. A very accomplished fighter. Here, Lovely kick The ball. fight's all over. Oh yeah! There's an 11-second head kick KO. He's just a super well-rounded fighter with great finishing instincts, especially on the ground. Let's hope he gets matched up with some bigger challenges in 2024 because his performances to date definitely say he's good enough. Number seven, Vitor Petrino from Brazil. He's a light heavyweight. Does everybody remember the days when 205 pounds was the most exciting and one of the most competitive weight classes in mixed martial arts? No. Yeah, I barely do too which is why it's really important when people do see a genuine prospect in that division come along. And at 10-0 with some scary power... (laughs) Mixed in with solid submission ability. That's a great recipe for this weight class. For instance, Modestus Bukalkis was on his redemption run returning to the UFC after capturing the Cage Warriors title and wasn't looking half bad until Petrino just landed one shot on him. I love what you're seeing Petrino do oh, oh nasty one oh, shot! One yeah, scary power he really is just one of those fighters you truly can't afford to make one mistake against and the experience is there too he's already had three fights into his ufc contract with two finishes and he's also got a scary finish over Adolfo bellato on the contender series my only concern is i have seen him tire out at least a bit in fights So we'll have to see how he addresses that moving forward. Number six, Mateusz Rombeski. He's Polish at lightweight. The difference I'd say right now between Mateusz and most of the rest in this list is, well, his sheer level of experience. The guy's had 19 fights as a pro already and only lost once way back in 2014. I like to fight for many people. Yeah, the guy hasn't lost in almost a decade, which it will be if he continues this streak to September. And out of all of that, he only has three decisions. Since joining the UFC, he's already got three wins with two of those as finishes, and he also finished Rodrigo Lidio with a re-naked choke in the first round. That was on the Contender Series. In fact, only six fighters have ever made it to the third round against him. Three of those were the decisions I mentioned earlier, and of course he finished the other three. The point is the guy finishes almost everyone and is super well-rounded with a blend of KOs and submissions to his name. For instance, in his first UFC fight, he went up against a super experienced guy in Loic Who had fought in PFL and had won his UFC debut already by that point. So he was another solid prospect. And Rambeshki just ate this guy alive for two rounds. He took out both of his legs, nearly subbed him, and then just bombed on him once with an overhand left, and the ref just mercy stopped it. This guy is a killer. I'm not at all sure how he managed to come through Poland without ever fighting in KSW, but he fought a ton of well-experienced guys and defended titles in fight exclusive night predominantly, and here we are in 2024 where he's hopefully gonna make a big step up in competition next, especially after making Roosevelt Roberts look so easy. Uh, more important who I've won fight. Top 15. It's of course obviously. Number five, Mike Malott. He's Canadian at welterweight. The next coming of GSP, or is he the next coming of GSP? That's right, I'm talking about Michael Malott. When you think about it, who was the truly last big Canadian star in MMA? We've had some really great ones like OAB, who had a lot more success in PFL. Charles Jourdain is a really solid force at 145 with outstanding names on his record. Felicia Spencer earned a title shot when Cyborg was still in the company. But really, the last big star I'd argue was Rory McDonald. Even that was a pretty far cry from the impact GSPs had. And by all means, I'm not going to try to get hyperbolistic and say Mike Mallott is a shoo-in for that kind of discussion, But it's clear he's got a really genuine and quick rising connection with the Canadian fan base. I love my boxing coach, Joey Rodriguez, someone I've known for eight years and seven, eight years and has helped me to find out that he and his family have to go through this with a beautiful 15 year old daughter to the the fans of this sport that as I'm walking out of the cage handed me. I don't know how much money, probably thousands of dollars, a lot of cash to donate to this to to their fight against cancer, you have no idea how much it means. And for good reason. He's fought everywhere from Bellator to PFL or what it was called back then, World Series of Fighting, and he's finished everyone he's come across in his three UFC fights. That includes his Contender Series fight and really everyone else because the guy doesn't have a single decision on his entire record. What's more though is that he's only lost once in nearly a decade to Hakim Dawadu. And like I mentioned, he's finished all of his fights, and that's no matter where it went. The only real knock on him is the lack of fights on his record. Despite being 32 and fighting for 12 years now, he's only fought 12 times. And yeah, he's just been fighting in the UFC since 2022. But again, his performances speak for themselves, and the amount of pressure he's been able to eat in these events and really rile up the crowd, it's been incredibly impressive. This yeah, show is for us! This was a Canadian. I really do think if he can keep getting some wins together, he could be a massive star in that country. And so, yeah, he's not just a great up-and-coming talent in the stacked welterweight division. He's about to fight Neil Magny in January, which is a huge step up and should really get people talking if he can look halfway decent in that fight. But the guy has really clear star power, which I think will accelerate him even quicker up the ranks. Definitely keep your eye on this guy. Number four, Steve Ursig. He's from Australia at Flightweight. Let me ask you guys a question. When was the last time you saw a guy who's a relative unknown, at least on the world stage, take one fight, which mind you was against a guy who was on a two fight losing streak. And with that, jump the rankings to number 14 or get a ranking spot at all. And by his next fight, he jumped to number 11. What about somebody like Pereira? No, he was literally unranked by the time he fought Sean Strickland in his third fight. And even though somebody like Cody Garbrandt moved up the ladder from unranked to title challenger within a year, which is crazy, it still took him three fights to hit the rankings the first time. And yeah, rankings are weird. We shouldn't put too much stock into them in terms of real world's meaning. But what they do tell you is what the UFC is thinking. And clearly they think a lot about Steve Ursig to move him up the rankings that quickly. The point is, is what Steve Ursig has done is really rare. The only examples I can think of were major stars from other big MMA organizations that held titles like Yuri or Chandler. And for one, it shows you how much respect the UFC has for him and the amount of Australian public support that is behind him and the kind of ability that he has, which is really well-rounded. I'm like, mate, keep doing what you're doing, incredible stuff. So I don't know if there's even a question there. I'm just giving you a shout. The guy has a ton of height for the weight class at 5'9" which gives him a big advantage there. And he's just a really fun striker that rocks his opponents and consistently threatens once it hits the ground. His chin has been tested in the past and has done really well, and he's proven the ability to cover really quickly if that does happen and change the tide. The biggest knock you can put on him so far is that he hasn't been able to continue his finishes in the UFC yet. But he puts on really exciting fights, and with the kind of support he has back home, uh, Pantoja, especially, I think he's pretty, um, pretty scrappy and has a lot of holes. So I think I can, um, I think I can walk him onto the and put him away. Again, he's ranked at number eleven, and he's only twenty-eight. Perth represent. Let's go. Number three, Joe Pyfer. He's American at middleweight. Speaking of people the UFC are trying to push, just take it from Dana White himself. Act like Joe Pyfer. Be Joe Pfeiffer. Be Joe Pfeiffer and you will get into the UFC. And so far, Joe has lived up to it in the UFC. He hasn't had the rankings pushed just yet, but he does have that opportunity already lined up, and he definitely has the story and performances to justify that hype. He has one decision win in 14 fights with three fights in the UFC against well-regarded talent without making it to a decision in the UFC yet. And of course, he has this win over Ozzy Diaz in the Contender Series that birthed that phrase from Dana. Be Joe Pfeiffer. He's another one of these guys with great finishes Instincts and great star power written all over him. It probably helps that he's willing to speak as frankly as he does in press conferences. When you look at me, you have question marks, but you know there's potential to be a title challenger, if not a title holder. And I will risk my health, my body, everything, my mind, so I can secure that. I have the charisma, I have the confidence, I have the fight style, I have it all. But looking further into his fights, the way he took out a really scary fighter in Alhassan with a super smart game plan was impressive. His win over a guy like GM3 who's had more than 50 fights to his name by now. I mean, he hurts people on the feet. He submits them if he needs to. The UFC clearly loves him, and on top of that, he has the opportunity to jump from literally being unranked right now to number 10 in the division in just one fight against Jack Hermanson, which he's already booked in. And to be fair, I think he might be the favorite in. So yeah, if he gets at least one win, he'll already be moving into title territory as a top 10 middleweight. Number 2, Ikram Alaskerov, he's from Dagestan, Russia. He's a middleweight. There are so many reasons to be hyped about Ikram in particular. He's only lost once in 16 fights. He's finished all but four of his opponents with some of the best highlights currently in the UFC, and he's got an incredible background full of credentials to go along with that. He's a multiple-time Combat Sambo champion, which as we know is clearly emerging as the best base for MMA. I mean, wrestling's great, BJJ is great, striking is great, and that's the thing about Combat Sambo. It combines all of those things, and that's why this influx of talent, particularly from Eastern Europe, has been impossible to ignore in recent years. Like you'd expect, that experience has proven extremely Effective in his MMA career so far. The elephant in the room, by all means, of course, is that KO lost to Hamzat. There is no getting past it. Hamzat definitely has that KO ability, and he'd hurt him already in that round. It's not like it was a fluke. But that was, of course, five years ago. And there's a good chance we see Hamzat fighting for a title in the near future. I mean, he lost to somebody who could be champion or at least a title challenger. So we have to acknowledge that. But it's also fair to say Alaskarov's been on an eight-fight win streak since that, with just one decision in all that time. His finishing instincts are insanely good, and whether or not he defeats Hamza in a rematch down the line, it's still a really intriguing question I think fans want to see play out by the time he may or may not climb those ranks. And I think he's easily a top 10 level talent already. His fights so far have demonstrated that, and he just needs a couple more opportunities to get there, in my opinion. So yeah, definitely look forward to some Alaskarov fights. Real quick before we move to number one, remember my criteria from the beginning. They can't already have been in the top 10, so you're not going to see anybody there. At least one fight in the UFC, so don't look outside of the UFC for this. And if I have listed them before, I'm not going to list them again. So check last year's list. I just think that would be really lazy for me to copy and paste last year's scripts for some of those guys. So yeah, I'm going to have that in the description. The link is there if you guys want to watch that and check out some of those guys. Or if you want to rewind back and see how last year's listed. Anyhow, for number one, we got Benoit Saint-Denis. He's French, a lightweight. This might legitimately be the craziest turnaround in a UFC career I've ever seen. I don't know how many of you guys have seen his debut against Elizu Dos Santos. I literally think it was the worst debut I've ever seen. It's at least up there with the worst ever. I mean, just a couple months after Dan Hardy was in a large part fired for yelling at Herb Dean to stop a fight, the commentators were doing just that to try and stop this fight with Dos Santos. It was that bad. Right. Oh, but since then, he's looked incredible, like the second coming of the human highlight reel with a performance of the night or fight of the night bonus in his last three of five fights, which were, of course, all finishes in the UFC, by the way. And the good news is Justin Gaethje is still very much at the top of the division, so we could see these two fight in the coming years. This is a fight I want to have. It, 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 it's... Is, is that the one at the top of the list? I turned the top of the list, of course. And I do believe this is a fight for the BMF. <laughs> If people want a, a violent fight, yeah, I think it's a fight to make. By the way, I should mention the fact that number one and two on this list both came from Brave Combat Federation, so that tells you you should be watching their cards. But yeah, that one fight was his last loss, and he's looked like a destroyer ever since then. We are currently awaiting the announcement of his next fight as he's just fought in November. But again, with that fight style, the entire country of France already hailing him as a star. He really doesn't need much more at all to get himself not only into the top 10 as a number 12 ranked already lightweight, but title contention for that matter. Just two or three wins in the next year, you could easily see him in that discussion. So yeah, definitely keep your eye on his next fight. Oh man, that was so much fun to do. It's a boatload of work. This was a really exhaustive list, as I mentioned earlier, of about 50 names. Anybody who offered suggestions for this list on Twitter, a big thanks to you. Because that helps me a ton every year and I also went through every single card of this year and made sure there was nobody I missed. Once again, this is my favorite list to make every year, so big thanks to everybody who watched today. And on that note, I really want to encourage anybody that watches or supports this channel and appreciates this kind of effort this much time please consider signing up for our membership program. You can join our writers' meetings that way. You get exclusive content multiple times a week. And if you just want to support and see us thrive, there is truly no better way to directly do it. So on that note, a special shout-out. As always, they deserve it to our champs and Hall of Famers. And of course, all of you just for watching, no matter what you do. I'll catch you on the next one, guys. Happy New Year. Peace!